You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. The 1960s were a time of incredible cultural upheaval and social unrest. And it was at this time that two pretty obscure songwriters named Bobby Scott and Bob Russell wrote a song that would go on to be a major hit for the English band, The Hollies. This song would later be covered by a number of artists, my favorite of which is Donny Hathaway. You may remember the title, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. And the lyrics say this, the road is long with many a winding turn that leads us to who knows where. But I'm strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. So on we go. His welfare is my concern. No burden is he to bear. We'll get there. For I know he would not encumber me. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. If I'm laden at all, I'm laden with sadness that everyone's heart isn't filled with the gladness of love for one another. It's a long, long road from which there is no return. While we're on the way to there, why not share? These were prophetic lyrics for the times, and they still remain prophetic lyrics for the time. But what most people don't know is that the song's title actually goes back to the 19th century and a story that was told by a Scottish minister named James Wells in his book, The Parables of Jesus. And in this book, he tells the story uh, of this little girl who was carrying her brother, who was not much smaller than her. And as she was carrying her brother down the road, someone asked her if she wasn't tired of carrying her burden. And she turned to the person and said, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. From its very beginnings, the Christian community has been a burden-bearing community, and self-consciously so. The gospel was found to be credible, and the Christian faith spread all around the globe because Christians looked at one another and said, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. But one of the great difficulties that we experience as we live in this cultural moment that is so rife with selfishness is that we are surrounded by a culture that looks at other people and says, he ain't my brother. He's heavy, right? It's the exact opposite message. We've been affected by this everyone for themselves, dog eat dog, cancel happy culture, and we are, we're deluded if we think that it doesn't have its effects on the way that we think and the ways that we live our lives. What do you do when you are confronted with the overwhelming burdens of others? What do you do when you're the one with the overwhelming burden? God calls the church to be a burden-bearing community. And I want to briefly talk about the obstacles to burden-bearing 
and the opportunity in burden bearing. Those are our two points for this morning. The obstacles to burden bearing and the opportunity in burden bearing. So let's look at our first point, the obstacles to burden bearing. Our passage begins in verse 1 by saying, Brothers, there's that family language again. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back a few sermons and listen to this new thinking about the family of God. He starts off with this language. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, Paul is developing this passage out of that famous passage on the fruit of the spirit that has immediately preceded this passage for today. This is a continuation, a development. What does it look like to be a people that is led by the Spirit, a people that bears the fruit of the Spirit? Paul is telling them that they are to take this message of being filled with the Spirit, they are to take this life of keeping in step with the Spirit for the purposes of bearing burdens in the community. He tells them that this is the way that they can gently restore those who have fallen off. And this language of restore was used to speak of the mending of fishing nets. It's used in the Gospels, this this Greek word that's behind here. It's used to talk about mending fishing nets. But more importantly, for our purposes, it's used to talk about resetting a fractured bone or resetting a dislocated bone. And this raises the first obstacle that I want to address. What gets in the way of our willingness or our ability to bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters? An errant and insufficient view of the church. Errant and insufficient views of the church. In general, American Christians are not known for having what you might call a strong ecclesiology or a high view of the church's place and importance in the plans of God. And it would be naive to think that this laissez-faire approach to church doesn't have a profound effect on our communal life in particular churches. It's not uncommon, y'all, for American churches to feel like religious country clubs for well-behaved people of means to socialize and get a little inspiration. You meet some nice people with whom you share some commonalities and conversation. You may even pick up some decent ideas from these nice people. But here's the thing. Nobody shows up to the country club to enter into messy situations that place demands on their lives because somebody else is in a bad way. Nobody goes to the country club for that purpose. And in as much as we think about the church in the mode of country club, we are not going to be a burden-bearing community. But in this passage, Paul is showing us that the church is not like a country club. It's like a hospital where the sick can be cared for and made well. It's a place where people are honest about their condition and their vulnerabilities are not exploited but carefully tended to. And contrary to the country club, there are indeed people who show up at the hospital to enter into messy situations that place demands on their lives because other people are in a bad way. 
There are people that show up at hospitals for that very purpose. It's central to their calling to ask people about their pains and to tend to people's needs. Some do triage in the emergency room. Some stick IVs and change bedpans, but all work difficult hours to see sick and hurting people return to wholeness. And Paul is telling us that that's the mode in which we are to think about the church. That's at least one important mode in which we are to think about the church. Paul is telling us that when there are broken bones in the body of Christ, they are to be gently reset so that they can heal. You could even say that community is sort of the protective cast that allows people to heal properly. To put it another way, you cannot heal properly from any of your wounds or your sin sickness apart from community. It is a delusion to think that you are growing in wholeness and health detached from community. As we've said before, there are many things you can do by yourself, but being a healthy Christian is not one of those things. If we are to function in this way, then we must take a right view of the church as a covenant community. That's the first obstacle. The second obstacle is found in verse 2. Take a look. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, here Paul is referring, I think, to love, which Jesus said was the summary of the law and the fulfillment of the law. And he's sort of maybe doing a little rhetorical back and forth with his you know, opponents, the Judaizers, who were trying to get Gentiles under the law once again. And so it's almost like Paul is given a little subtle, eh, no, 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 the law of Christ, which is love. Okay? And this is to say that the next obstacle to burden bearing is disordered love. Now, we've mentioned this Augustinian concept in previous weeks, but I want to go a little bit deeper with it today. Okay? And for this part, I want to encourage you to maybe take a few notes. So that you can take these back for reflection, okay? Just a few notes. You might want to take these. I don't usually recommend notes, but on these ones, they're worth the reflection, okay? This is what Augustine says about love. Now, he is a man of just and holy life who keeps his affections also under strict control so that he neither loves what he ought not to love, like sin or money, nor fails to love what he ought to love, like God and neighbor, nor loves that more which ought to be loved less, like career or entertainment, nor loves that equally which ought to be either loved less or more, like loving God equally with politics. Politics should be loved less. Nor loves that less or more which ought to be loved equally. Like your children, loving them equally rather than playing favoritism or loving the gospel more than you love justice. I'm going to run through those again. There are five categories for discerning disordered love or the proper ordering of love that Augustine speaks of. He says that you shouldn't love what should not be loved. Okay, that's the first one. Don't love things that should not be loved like sin or the love of money. Right? Two, 
Don't fail to love what you should love. If you notice that you're not loving people or things that you should love, like loving your city or loving your neighborhood, loving the thriving of the people around you. If you do not love that, that's a problem. Three, nor loving something more that ought to be loved less. Like you, like you need to check about your love on certain things in your life. It could be your career. It could be your own entertainment. It could be, uh, it could be politics. I mean, we're in D.C. after all, right? Loving things more that ought to be loved less. Nor loving things equally in which one thing ought to be loved more or less. Okay? And finally, nor loving something less or more which ought to be loved equally. Okay? These are diagnostics for understanding whether our loves are rightly ordered or disordered. And disordered love is one of the obstacles to burden-bearing community. And I raise this barrier because we always need to be humbling ourselves to ask, am I failing to love people in my community that I ought to be loving? That's disordered love. Am I wrongly loving career, achievement, or my own comfort more than my struggling brother or sister? Am I just as happy as a clam for things to be going extraordinarily well with me and to see them struggling and not be involved. And hey, that's the breaks. Disordered love. Do I love the benefits of the gospel more than I love the demands that Christ places on me in light of the gospel? The life of justice, the life of service, the life of hospitality. Am I in a place where I love the benefits? Give me the benefits of grace. Give me grace, 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 grace. Forgiveness, kindness of the Lord. But when it comes to the way that grace comes in like a wrecking ball and transforms and and starts to renew us and starts to rebuild us. Oh, no, 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 thanks. That's, That's been known as fire insurance Christianity. Just, just, just give me my ticket into heaven, and then between, I, between now and then, you know, I'm going to do my thing. Avoiding the demands of discipleship. Resisting them. All of the demands of discipleship. Not just reading your Bible and praying, which are two very critically important things. But also getting into the mess with your beloved in the community of God. Faithfully coming to worship because it is witness. There are any number of things that I could lay out that we are to do in light of the gospel. We have to make sure we don't love the benefits of the gospel more than we love the life that should be produced by the gospel. Because that's the first step toward actually living into it is to love that picture, to love who I could become, to not be content with where I'm at and who I am to see the disparity between who I am and who I ought to be and to, and to be delighted that God per, he per, perseveres with me even though I'm far from that picture and it's his persevering love that will actually get me closer to that picture could you imagine what your life would be like if you were free free could you imagine what your life would look like if your love's were rightly ordered. Can you get that picture in your head? 
The battle is, at some level, at the imaginative level. Okay? Can you see what could become of you? Do you have hope in the power of the Spirit and in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you have confidence in his love that he will stick by you until he makes you into that likeness or something more beautiful than you've even conceived of? Do I love the benefits of the gospel more than I love the demands that Christ places on me? And the way that you begin to understand the the situation when it comes to your loves is by living in communion with the Lord and living in communion with your people and not merely gauging the status of your loves by your emotional life or by your feelings, but by your practices and your habits. Your practices and your habits tell the truth on the state of your loves. As much as we may not want that to be the case. If you say, I love health, I love fitness, and you don't go to the gym, you don't run, and you eat junk food all the time, I'm really going to question whether you love fitness and health. Someone in here needs to hear this today who may be at the microphone right now. (laughs) I just love being in shape. I say that all the time. The shape is round. The shape is round. I'm in shape. I'm in a shape, okay? (laughs) Now, look, if the story is told about the state of your loves by your practices and your habits, then guess how you actually return to rightly ordered loves, practices, and habits, which is to say that it's in reach. It's accessible. This is not something that God's dangling the carrot above you and say, hi, jump, look at him, jump, look at him. He's never going to get it. He's never, she's never going to get that. Like, no, this is really accessible. Inside out and outside in. That's how we change, okay? Disordered love is an obstacle to burden-bearing community. And the final barrier I want to name comes in verse 3, okay? Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing... He deceives himself. Okay, that's pride. Pride is the third barrier or obstacle to burden-bearing community. When someone in the community is overtaken by sin, it is fairly easy for others to look at the train wreck and say, what is wrong with them? To be agitated or irritated by the like, how could they? What is wrong with them? And the undercurrent of this thinking is, I'm glad I'm better than them. I'm glad I'm better than that. But Paul warns us against this pride, this comparative spirituality where we measure our spiritual vitality and our spiritual health based upon looking at the other people around us rather than by our own life and trajectory in relationship to the Lord. You notice at the end of this passage that Paul does not alleviate us of taking personal responsibility for our own burdens. But there are some burdens that are overwhelming that we cannot carry alone, and that's what he's speaking to in the first part of the passage. But it doesn't get you off the hook for taking responsibility. We tend to look at people and say, I'm glad I'm better than that. But Paul warns us against this pride by telling us, 
If you use the occasion of another's fall to think more highly of yourself, it's at that point that you are most deceived and most vulnerable to crashing yourself. That's where you're really in trouble. If you look at some, someone else who has fallen into sin, who's been taken off guard by a sin that has just created real havoc in their life, and you say, man, what's wrong with them? That's when you're most deceived because you are out of touch with who you really are and how vulnerable you are and how much like them you are. I, that, that's one of the things that this message of you are special has done to us. We really do think we're special and unlike other people. We're exceptional. Don't you know who I am? But this, this message from Paul is a warning about the pride that leads to the fall. But pride actually comes in different forms, y'all. And that's one of the reasons why it is so successful in remaining with us is because it mutates and it shows up in different ways and it's hard for us to isolate it and then we wind up embodying it. How does pride show up? How does pride show up? Pride can be expressed in narcissism, an excessive interest in ourselves where we can't turn our eyes away from our own image to take concern for another. Pride can be expressed in judgmentalism in which we think ourselves to be morally superior because we haven't committed the particular sin that's unfolding in front of us. By the way, judgment is different from judgmentalism. Judgment is right and appropriate in the household of God. That's what Paul says. And to judge another person within the household of God is to hold them and yourself to a standard that you did not create. Judgmentalism is when you begin to elevate yourself above someone else because you have not fallen into the error they have fallen into. And for this temporary moment, you're performing a little better than them from appearances. Not actually, but from appearances. That is judgmentalism. And that is a form of pride. Pride can be expressed in distant well-wishing in which we masquerade as caring, burden-bearing community, but are absent when the real work and the real support is needed. That's pride. Pride can be expressed as busyness. When we think that our own affairs are more important than the needs of our community and where we posture ourselves and our enjoyments as so important, so non-negotiable that we won't get our hands dirty in the work of burden bearing. Pride is a great obstacle to burden bearing. So let's, let's talk about those three real quick. An errant and insufficient views of the church, disordered love and pride in its many expressions are great obstacles to burden-bearing community according to our text. But there's also a great opportunity on the other side of those obstacles. If we can get over those obstacles to the other side, there is incredible opportunity in our burden-bearing, which brings us to our final point, the opportunity in burden-bearing. Now, as was the case for our discussion of hospitality last week. So it is for our discussion of burden bearing this week. Our calling 
to burden bearing is incredibly important for our formation and mission. You heard this last week, but I'm going to fill it out with this burden bearing mentality. Okay, just as we do with hospitality, we tend to think of burden bearing and what it does for others, which is good and important. And we'll get to that. But you have to understand that when you are bearing the burdens of others, it's actually doing something to you. And the Lord is just as interested in what's happening to you when you're bearing burdens as he is for in the, in the person whose burdens you're bearing. He's interested in both. He's interested in what is happening to you, happening to you, who you are becoming when you bear burdens. Remember that kingdom life is caught as much as it is taught. And God has designed human beings and human community in such a way that there are certain truths we will never understand or believe unless we bear the burdens of others. You just won't understand. You won't get inside. They will not touch your heart. Chief among those truths is the steadfast, immovable, unshakable love of God who carries the great burdens of all his people. You can't quite get inside of the Lord's enduring commitment to his people and to you specifically. You can't feel it in your body until you are spending late nights being present with people who are going through hard times. Until you actually feel the the, the stress in your body because you are sharing their sorrows and their tears. You will never really understand what it meant For him to carry your burdens and self-denial until you feel the sting of saying no to your cherished plans. Because there is a precious brother or sister who needs you right now. You won't feel it. You won't get it. You can study all the books you want. You can read all the theology you want. It will remain on the surface until you bear some burdens. The Lord wants to teach us in these moments. And he wants us to understand in these moments his word to Israel when he said, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. In these seasons of burden bearing, the Lord wants you to understand the word of Isaiah when he said that the Lord gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. It's in these times that you understand what the Lord meant when he said, even to your old age, I am he and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. It's in these times that you are prepared to appreciate what Peter said of Christ when he said he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This is the gospel. Jesus carried sins he did not commit. He paid a debt that he did not owe. He suffered a death that he did not deserve. He walked out of a tomb that he did not need in order to make right what he did not make wrong and to clean up a mess that he did not make and to give us a love that we could not fathom. That is the gospel. That's the good news that we have a burden-bearing Savior. And that burden-bearing Savior is out to produce a burden-bearing people. 
It's all grounded in the gospel. This does not get you brownie points with heaven. This is not something to give yourself a little pat on the back. Jesus has already borne your burdens, your greatest burdens. And now he invites us to participate in bearing the burdens of our community members. Why? Because he wants to make you like Christ. That's what he's up to. He's not trying to be a drag. He's not trying to kill your joy. He's not a kill joy. He's the real joy. You know what I'm saying? All right? I just had to let y'all know I still got bars, okay? <laughs> Listen. Jesus has the authority and the credibility to command us to such love for one another, not because he needs it, but because we do. We need it. This is how we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. This is how we grow up in the love of the Lord. This is how we are strengthened in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. This is how we learn that life of grace. This is how we remember what's at stake on Sunday mornings and in community groups and in our relationships and on Sunday mornings when we are bearing the burdens of others and getting inside of the wreckage that takes place because of sin Our estimate of Christ is elevated. Our sense of our own vulnerability is increased. And we are brought to a place of humility. We are brought to a place where we really begin to lift our hearts to the Lord because we truly sense the burden that he has lifted from us. This is where things, this is where the fog dissipates and we begin to see clearly when we are living the life of burden bearing. This is how God fits us and forms us for glory. Formation. But we also need to talk about mission very briefly. You may be aware of the fact that there are folks in our church family who struggle with faith and struggle with doubt. And guess what? There is no other place that we would rather you be than here. And the fact that you show up with those struggles with those doubts, is such an amazing indicator of God's grace to you. And I hope you feel extraordinarily welcomed and free to process the things that are going on. If it doesn't make sense to you, we're not going to turn up the volume. We're going to walk with you. We're going to share our stories. Not because we have it all figured out, but because we have become convinced based upon our experience of the Lord in our experience of community. We have people in our community who struggle in this particular way. Doubts based on bad church experiences, disappointment with the public witness of the church, or simply a personal tendency towards cynicism and doubt. It's real and it's difficult. But when these friends come into personal trials and failures, and struggles with sin, one of the most significant ways that the Lord actually will meet them, heal their old wounds, and free them from their own cynicism and doubt is by experiencing a burden-bearing community that makes their doubts less believable than the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they see it actually embodied, it begins to bring their doubts into doubt. Because... Because it takes an extraordinary thing 
for people to willingly enter in and walk with others over time through inconvenience, in self-denial, sharing suffering, their heart so bound up with the well-being of their brother or sister that they, they share the tears and they share the joys. That's one of the ways that God works in the lives of people who struggle in these ways, just to lay hold of faith or firm assurance, processing through doubts. And if this is the case for our brothers and sisters in our church family, it's also the case for our neighbors as well. And one of the things that I think that we fail to appreciate at times, because we are being formed communally, and many of us, our first instinct is when something goes down in our lives, we're going to share the prayer request. Others of us wait until it's like red alert, code nine. Please don't do that. Share it early on. Um, there's a fire in my house. Like, it's like, you should have told me when you were about to strike the match, right? Like, um, many of us, because we're being formed communally, our, our instincts are to bring it to the community at some point. But where do our neighbors go? when they are going through suffering or when they have some kind of failure that has wrecked their lives, where do they turn? Do they have any people in their lives who will walk with them? And if they do have people in their lives, are those people able to offer anything more than Hallmark card sentimentality and this putting positive vibes into the universe? This is an opportunity for us to be present as a burden-bearing community. And I want you to think about how profound the witness could be to our neighbors for us to grow ever more committed and faithful and burden-bearing, for people to show up at our door with their burdens, with their struggles, with their failures, with their pains, and to experience us as a people that knows their way around hard times because we are well-practiced at bearing burdens. That right there is one of the most profound means by which they can come to understand what the gospel is about. What is the gospel if it's not God bearing our sin burden so that he can bring about the renewal of all things and restore us to the beauty of joy and holiness? That's the, that's the nearest opportunity they have in that moment of trial to really get an understanding of what the gospel is and why it matters, why Jesus matters, our burden bearing. And we have stories to tell at Grace Mosaic, don't we? I know Team Whitfield has a story to tell about the way that this community has helped us to bear our burdens. There are different kinds of burdens. There are sin burdens there are the burdens of suffering, and that's what we have been in for the last two years. And we would not have made it without this community. The wheels would have come completely off. My dear friends, the elders, coming to pray and anoint our child with oil. This community rising up in incredible generosity to help us with our burdens financially. I have stories to tell. If someone who is going through some things wants to know where they can get some help from me, I can say, not because I'm pastor of this church, not because I helped to plant this church, but because I have experienced that burden-bearing love of this church, I can wholeheartedly commend them 
to Grace Mosaic. It is a beautiful privilege. And many of you have stories to tell. And many of you who are watching online, you're not here because you're carrying a burden that we long to help you carry because we love you and we want to be like Jesus. I want to say to all of you, don't hide your burdens from this community. Don't diminish them. Don't conceal them. It is one of the most important ways that God has designed for us to grow up is for you to share your burdens with us and for us to rise up and walk with you and support you and care for you and pray for you and meet you in that moment. We don't need to have any fear about laying our burdens before brothers and sisters in Christ because we all know our weakness and vulnerability. We all share that same need for Christ. I want our commitment to being a burden-bearing community to be one of the most significant ways that we bear witness to the truth that Jesus lives. So when we face sin and failure and hard times in this community, let's make it our prayer and our practice, our habit, that we will look on our beloved brothers and sisters and say, he's not heavy, she's not heavy. He's my brother. She's my sister. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.